everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, here with my co-host and Hall of Famer, we got through the first of the of the four slams of the year, Steve. Um, maybe not so much a surprise on the women's side. Uh, you could say a definite surprise on the men's side just because of how dominant Novak Djokovic has been. Yet, um, you knew this was coming. For Yannick Sinner, you knew he was going to win a slam eventually, um, and we'll get into the details of it, but two worthy champions, in my opinion. Oh, I couldn't agree more, and Sabalenka validating uh, her victory there a year ago, because in between, she had lost a heartbreaking semifinal at the French, a heartbreaking semifinal at Wimbledon, and then loses to Coco Golf after winning the first set of the U.S. Open final looking then like she was on the verge of her second major. So for her to come back to Australia with such self-assurance and composure and hitting the ball as well as I've ever seen her do it, great effort from Sabalenka. And then Sinner, what can you say? You you, you set it up well. He's, he set the stage for this last year where some heroics the second half of the year, starting with a Wimbledon semi, then uh, continuing with his first Masters 1000 title over the summer, Finally, the end of the year where he was runner-up to Djokovic in turn at the ATP Finals, where he beat Novak in the round robin. And then uh, it goes on to beat Novak in the Davis Cup semifinals as well. And so he ended the year so brilliantly that we all knew how dangerous he would be over there. And sure enough, he came through with the title, not only beating Novak, but Rublev in the quarters and Medvedev in the final. A trio of very impressive triumphs. Yeah. So let's start with the with the women, because I want to talk about one of the quarters. Right. When we ended our last um, last week's episode, we were all hoping for the Coco Sabalenka semi and we got it. But I did want to mention something in the quarter, the quarterfinal match between Coco and, and Marta Kuschuk. And I I, I bad, you know, I, I probably pronounced her last name wrong, so I apologize. But um, Marta is good. She has a really good game. Now, that match, the quality of that match with her and Coco. I think both of them would agree was not really high level. It, it was, it was tough to watch at times. So topsy turvy, um, especially those first two sets, which ended in tiebreakers. Um, I will say this, if I'm on Marta's team, I'm not even worried about anything tactical or technical at this point, nothing tactical or technical. I'm worried about her mental state because from the very first point that she missed Steve, so the last point that she missed, she acted like it was the end of the world. And to me, like your opponent sees that and you and mentally the emotions that you go through in a match, it's so up and down and she's good, Steve. I think that's if she can improve that, um, she's going to have good results going forward. No, she's a very gifted, very gifted uh, shot maker. She she did get very frantic out there and, of course, was looking for solutions from her coach after almost every point, venting with her coach. And yet it was it was remarkable. You're right. The quality left a lot to be desired, I think, particularly in the first set when uh, Coco was down five one and and got and went up six five serve for the set, got broken, finally uh, wins it in tie break, but then can't convert, can't exploit a five three lead in the second set, loses out of the breaker, ran away with the third. So you're right. No, quality-wise, but it, this there's no question this girl's got a lot of ability. And Coco had to sort of keep her wits about her because she was not ha- she was having an off day and she knew it. There was none of the three sets. She looked a little better in the third, but n- n- she was never anywhere near the, the the top of her capabilities. But it was one of those matches that she won on 
on willpower, discipline, and 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 a lot of determination. So I I think um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Kostyuk in the years ahead, just how good she can get. But she does need to calm down. We'll agree on that. Yeah, and you know, you you say Coco got through it. Sometimes you have to win, not playing your A game, and what she definitely did took what you know many said was from her coach winning ugly episode um so uh she 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 maybe took on the the temperament of her coach on that one and it was good to get through because we we all wanted the Sabalenka Coco match I wasn't worried I I think and I take this in all of sports any sport each game each match is its own separate entity to me just because Coco struggled against Marta didn't mean she would struggle the same type of waiver Sabalenka I knew Coco would play a lot better. And she did. Um, I just felt that semi, and I'm going to get your thoughts on it. Obviously there was a lot of headwinds for arena Sabalenka to win that match just because of what happened in New York. Um, Sabalenka did not have the crowd behind her in New York. That was obviously mostly everybody behind Coco. She wanted revenge, Steve. She wanted revenge bad. That said, that first set was very close. Coco had her chances. Um, Tightly contested match, seven six six four. Sabalenka wins. Listen, you is interesting because I'll tell our listeners and viewers now that you you had a strong feeling that Sabalenka was going to win. I thought Coco was going to win because, yes, no doubt. Uh, did Sabalenka want revenge? Yes, not on a personal level, on a professional level, because I think they get along well those two. But I thought that Coco, despite how she had played in the previous round. She had won the last major. She'd beaten Sabalenka in the finals. I think she really would have... And they both knew, by the way, that this was essentially the final. There was a pretty good chance that whoever won this was, was going to win that final. They were well aware of that when they walked on the court. So what happens? Sabalenka, a great start, up 5-2. And Coco won four games in a row. She served for the set 6-5-30 love and lost the next four points, you know, missed a couple of relatively easy forehand. Sabalenka showed a lot of poise and then completely outplayed Coco in the tie break. But the second set, unlike the first where there were so many service breaks, second set came down to one critical break at four all and Sabalenka closed it out. Coco actually said, David, that she thought she played better in this match than she did in the U.S. Open final. That's a great compliment to Sabalenka. For, uh, for Coco to say that. And so I, she didn't come away discouraged, but for Sabalenka, it's, it's just, it's so important to get that second. Nobody wants to be a member of the one slam club. Sure, you'll take that over none, but it's, it's not, you, you want to feel like, all the great players want to feel like they can do it. They can replicate their first success and go on to many more. And now I believe Sabalenka will because she's, her composure on the court is just, Oh, it, exponentially better, exponentially better than anything we've seen from her before. And then it's reflected in the way she plays because the stability of her game is there as well. Because now she's hitting all those big shots, but not missing much. Here was somebody who a couple of years back had to serve underhanded, who barely serves double faults anymore. The transformation in Sabalenka is just, it's just extraordinary. So I, I'm, I'm happy for her and I'm not discouraged for Coco who I think is going to go on. I, I still think Coco has a decent shot to win a major somewhere line, along the line herself this year. But in Sabalenka's case, when you get on the board for the first one of the year, now it didn't happen last year, it came close. I mentioned earlier about how well she did in the other three majors. This time I'll be very surprised, frankly, if we don't see her win another one this year. 
so again, she's she's great on clay. People wouldn't necessarily think so, but I think she's almost as good on clay as she is on any other surface. Comfortable enough on the grass and remarkable on hard court. So she's going to have three more cracks. I say she gets on the board one more time. I think you very well could be right on that. You know, you, she plays Zhang in the final. Zhang's road to the final. I know it's not any fault of hers. You play who's in front of you, right? But Zhang played players ranked 76, 54, 94, 95, 75, and 93. Again, not her fault. She played who she had to play, and she beat them. Um, Sabalenka, 14 sets played, 14 sets won, Steve. Uh, very, very impressive. And I'm I'm with you. I, I mean, wouldn't surprise me one bit if she won another slam or uh, even three this year. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's possible. I, I'm, I'm betting more on two, but it's possible she could get three. No, look, she, uh, that says it all, the 14 cents won and, and none lost. That's something that would have been very hard for her to do. Before, uh, you know, she, she was too emotionally fraught in, in, in earlier stages of her career. She was, her emotions could get the better of her. So she had bad patches and matches that didn't happen here. Obviously, she was two points away from losing that set to Coco. It was a great comeback to salvage that first set, but otherwise she was in utter control as she was in the final where, you know, she had two only really two difficult service games in the final one love 40 game in the first set that she came out of. And then the last game of the match, she went serving for it. She's up 40 love triple match point and then went down break point, but held on in the end. That's typical of, of her these days that when she gets into these precarious has to experience precarious moments. She survives them easily. She just takes that deep breath and goes right back to work. He is an absolute beast on the court, but her personality is so fun off the court. Steve, I think she's great for the game. Great for tennis. And like you said, I think most people really enjoy her off the court. Not always fun to play against her because of how powerful she is on the court, but um, oh, what a personality. We're looking forward to seeing what, what she can do the rest of the year. Absolutely. Um, and in turn, you know, before we saw some personality from her on the court, but too much, too much of that was negative, dark, uh, where she was just so upset with herself and her situation. Now, yeah, she still has that same personality, the exuberance and the effervescence. We'll see that and hear that in the press conferences, but on the court, utterly calm and purposeful. And I love seeing that. Yes. All right. Let's flip it over to the men. And um, there's an interesting quarterfinal. Um, between uh, Sasha Zverev and, and Carlos Alcaraz. And uh, Sasha gets up two sets to love. He doesn't win the third, up serving for it, right? 5-3. Carlos comes back, wins that set in a tiebreaker. I thought, oh my God, I thought this is going to turn and Carlos is going to win this match in five. I was wrong. Um, this is now, some people are getting concerned for Carlos. I am not one of those people, Steve. Um, a good friend, mutual friend of both of ours. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, kind of restate a tweet that Vonch put out there about Alcaraz. He's played 12 majors. He has a 45 and 10 record with two majors. He's 20 years old. Give him time. Yeah. I am in the camp that Carlos Alcaraz is going to be just fine. He burst on the scene, was incredible when he first came out. I am not worried. Obviously, there's the injuries if that becomes a common occurrence. That's a separate issue. I'm not worried about Carlos Alcaraz. I think he still has plenty of slams in his future. No, I couldn't agree more. Listen, to get back to what you're saying about Vonch and the, and the Grand Slam record for a 20-year-old, 
already has two majors. He's got the two most important tournaments in tennis in his collection already, the U.S. Open in 22, Wimbledon in 23. A string of five set wins at the U.S. Open that year, three of them on his way to the final before he beat Rude in the final, and then he beats Djokovic in the Wimbledon final. That's a great player, to be sure. Now, yet the reason everybody's getting so up in arms is because he hasn't won a tournament since Wimbledon last year. That part is surprising, given his gifts. But, yeah, he'll come out of this slump. I think what it is, David, is he's a complicated guy, a complicated player in the sense that he's really an artist, and he loves being a flashy shot maker, and he loves pleasing the galleries and and just exploring his own imagination. And sometimes maybe he needs to keep things a little simpler in his mind and just win the point in a less fancy fashion. So maybe that gets in the way. But uh, I, I totally agree. He'll be back. Now, as for that match, he did very well to get into it. He, he, thanked, he said in the press conference, he thanked the crowd, really, for he didn't think he could have won the third set without them. I mean, he's losing not only two sets down, it's 6-1-6-3-5-2. And he holds on, and then, uh, you know, uh, Zarev serves two aces to get to 30 love. I thought it was over there. To, excuse me, to get to 30 all. From love 30 to 30 all, serving for the match. Two aces, and then, but he can't hold there. Then he had Carlos 15-30 in the next game. He's two points away again twice. Then that tiebreaker was by far uh, Alcaraz's best tennis of the match. Five, five dazzling winners that he made there. He just one brilliant shot after another. After Zarev had won the first two points of the breaker. So we go to the fourth. And then in the fourth, Zarev had the early break. Carlos gets it right back. He competed very well. And finally, from 3-4, Zarev won the last three games to close it out. But Carlos really made a bid there. I agree with you. Had he been able to get it into a fifth, I would have liked his chances. But Zarev showed great mental toughness to fend him off late in the fourth when it looked like things were getting away from him. But to get back to Carlos, he, he, will, he will restore his faith in himself and he will show the public. We're going to see some great things ahead from him this year, no doubt about it. And it's not like he's losing early in tournaments. I mean, as you've stated before, in Cincinnati, he played an unbelievable final, oh, loses to Novak. Did. U.S. Yeah. Open, he loses, what, a semi to Medvedev? Right. Now right. he loses a quarter to Zverev. It's not like he's losing to no-name players, and it's no, very no. in tournaments. So. No, absolutely. And there was in semifinals of the year-end championships, losing to Novak there at, at the ATP finals. No, he's made decent showings, and he pointed that out. This was a quarterfinal, so no, it's not disastrous. And he he will come out of this. He 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 was uh, It was a bad luck for him that Juan Carlos Ferrero couldn't be with him there. You know, he had, he had knee, some kind of surgery, and so he couldn't fly, and he couldn't come to Australia. That was probably a little bit, made it a little uncomfortable for Carlos, who's so used to having Ferrero with him. But he's got, there's a long season ahead, and he's going to make his presence known. I don't have a doubt about it. All right. Now we'll get to the shocker. And the shocker may not have been that he lost, but in the way that he lost, so uncharacteristic, Novak Djokovic losing. And this is self-admitted by Novak. This is not my words. This is self-admitted words that Novak himself was shocked with the level of play. Plays Yannick Sinner in the semis. Sinner beats him in four sets. Sinner never faced a break point. 54 unforced errors for Novak, Steve. Well, look, 28 of those. 29, I should say. 29 of those were in the first two sets when Sinner had only eight. It was a 15 to four, 14 to four in those two sets. He lost one and two. Obviously, he never had a 
break point in the match. So he wasn't he wasn't creating opportunities in those sets, but he also was losing his serve twice a set. Finally, early in the third, Djokovic sort of found himself a bit because until then he'd been kind of impatient, David. He was going for big shots early in points. It was like he didn't want to get involved in 14, 16, 20 stroke exchanges with Sinner, which I think frankly was what he needed to do. That started to happen in the third set. Still couldn't get anywhere on on uh, Yannick, sir, but he started to hold his own and did throughout the set and got better and better in the set and backed up his own serve beautifully and found some rhythm in the rallies. They go into the tie break and he saves a match point and wins it eight points to six and put and raised a fist. But it wasn't to me the typical Djokovic fist pump like I, I am not going to lose. I am here to win. Just watch me. It was more like. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. That's how I interpreted it. And sure enough, early in the fourth, he's up. He's serving at one, two, 40 love and try to drop shot that and and a perfect drop shot down the line off the back and that Sinner chased down and angled away for a winner off his forehand. And Sinner comes all the way back to break him after Novak made a string of errors. So it was a very a clutch performance from Sinner because once he got that break, he was unstoppable again. Uh it, it, it was shocking. And Djokovic, you don't hear him talk that way, David, very often. He, he will come in and he'll be self-critical. He was a little disappointed to lose the Wimbledon final to Carlos because he had a couple of opportunities, a set point for a two-set lead and a break point for two love in the fifth that he squandered. But this time he just said very clearly, no, it's one of the worst Grand Slam matches I've ever played or that I can remember. Then he gave Sinner all the credit that Yannick deserved. But of course, the... It, he sort of tied it in, David. Djokovic tied it in to the fact that he had never felt like he was at his best the whole tournament. There are other times that we've seen him raise the level when he has to by the time he gets to the semis and forget about the earlier matches. But I think it was the combination of coming into the tournament with a bad wrist, which seemed to improve tremendously over the course of the fortnight. And then also some kind of a virus. You could hear it in his voice. So I think those twin uh, issues that he was confronting Maybe he felt like it caught up to him. And that was the only explanation he gave for why he would start that badly. But only only he knows. But he certainly was unrecognizable the first two sets. All take nothing away from Sinner, who played high level throughout and, and was going to be hard to beat no matter what. But that was not the real Novak Djokovic for two sets. And it was only his pride, I think, and determination that allowed him to play just well enough to squeak out the third set. But I, I honestly don't think he thought he was going to win even going into the fourth. Others might disagree. That was the feeling that he conveyed to me watching him was that he was glad he was still in there and he was going to try, but he wasn't fully believing in it. And Sinner, Sinner to again, conversely, Sinner did very well not to, he didn't go into any kind of a panic mode and, or any frustration for after losing the third set after being a point away. And he just got right on with it himself and kept his level high. So, uh, you know, it was it was a surprising day. Obviously, everybody knew Sinner how threatening he was, and, and it would never have been shocking to see him win, but not in that, not when he's given two sets one and two to start off the proceedings. That was the that was the astonishing part. A couple couple things I want to throw out there, and I want to ask you if you felt that it had an effect on him. You know, prior to this match, Novak was twenty and zero in semis and finals uh, in Australia. Sure, all of those matches were at night. This one was in, during the day. Do you think that played a part, or was it more maybe the wrist, maybe no. the virus? 
No, I don't. Because where the evening, playing in the evening helps him is not dealing with heat. Now, he played Fritz in the quarters. It was a very hot day. They started in the late afternoon, went into the evening. You could see the heat was affecting him in the first two sets, which he split. And then he ran away in the third and fourth. No, I, I don't think it had any much of a bearing. I think what it was important was the wind. It was a windy day. He has struggled in the wind over the years. He doesn't like it. No doubt that, that I've seen him give a lot of subpar performances, not this subpar, but where he has clearly not been in, in, in his best, at his best under windy conditions. But the heat was not there. It was only about 70 degrees. So I don't really feel, and, and the wind was probably going to be there at night anyway. So I think, no, in the end, I don't think that people talked a lot about that. And sure, he's more accustomed tonight. But I think it only matters in terms of heat. Agreed. Okay, talk about a coincidence. It was 2,195 days since Novak lost in Australia. The same number of days that when Carlos beat Novak in Wimbledon. 2,195 days. That's incredible. It was just a crazy coincidence to me. Um, and then the other thing, and you you outlined it earlier, but just to emphasize it, Yannick Sinner has beaten Novak three of the last four times they've played. That's not a lot of players can say that, Steve. No, no, it's it's fascinating because Wimbledon, uh, they played four times last year and split them. Novak won at Wimbledon and straight, although it was a bit harder than the scores. Then this, then they went through a period in 12 days at the end of the year in November there where he beat Novak in a tiebreaker in the third in Turin at the ATP finals. Novak avenged the loss three and three in the final emphatically. And then they six days later, they're back out there again in the Davis Cup Davis semi. Cup. And then Djokovic had triple match point with Yannick serving. That was a, a wonderful clutch effort from Sinner there to hold on for four or five, love 40, triple match point down in the final set and beat Novak Djokovic. So look, he, he'd proven how what a worthy adversary he was. And yes, three out of four, but the other two matches were hanging in the balance. Djokovic could have won either one of them. Those were incredibly closely contested confrontations. This one, that's what this one was shocking because the first two sets were just so decisive for center and Novak was making so many unprovoked mistakes. So that's the difference. But what's interesting from here is how does he respond? How does Sinner respond? Sinner mentioned immediately after the match, he alluded to the fact that he expects to play Novak a few more times this year. It was almost like, look, I know he's not going away, but I, but I like the challenge of playing him in turn. Djokovic has got to be saying to himself, okay, my feeling is, David, he has to now treat Sinner the way he started to treat Carlos last year, where he said, look, this is a serious rival, and I'm, I'm going to get up for this, and he's, he's one of my biggest challenges. He's got to look at Sinner in exactly the same light and sort of hone in on what it's going to take for him to beat Sinner to turn these matches around. The other two, as I say, he could have won easily won the other two. But this time, you know, obviously he got beaten pretty soundly in the end and he's going to look to turn that around i i do think we'll see them play at least once maybe twice in majors later this year and perhaps in a couple of 1000s as well i think they'll meet a lot sinner is going to be very consistent all year long and i think Djokovic will be too be fascinating to see what unfolds in those contests and then on the other side now so you got sinner in the final the other side you got medvedev playing zverev right i mean <clears throat> Medvedev 
he wins in five sets, down two sets to love, where then he's in the final, he's up two sets to love and loses. It was a flip side of what happened. But Sinner, and then whoever would have won between Medvedev and Zverev, it was Medvedev, first Australian Open men's single final without the big three since 2005. Think about that, Steve. Yeah, since yeah. 2005, that's how much the big three have dominated. Unbelievable. At least and one guess of what? them within it year. every year. Excuse me for interrupting. Guess what happened that year? Marat Safin in the semifinals saved a match point against who? Roger Federer. So, I mean, it was very close to having one of them in there that year too. No, it's 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 it is it is it is remarkable. But now let's get back to your other point, David. Here, this Zarev Medvedev rivalry is really quite interesting. They played six times last year, and Medvedev won five, but. Zarev had so many chances in other matches. He probably should have split those six. And he said prior to this match, look, when I played him last year, I was still working my way back to the top of my form after the injury I had at the French the year before. And basically trying to say I'm more ready now to play him. And But basically this was sort of a carbon copy of a lot of the other losses where you felt like Zarev was in the driver's seat. First set, it was strange because he's up two breaks, 4-1. He led him back to 5-all after being two breaks up, but closed out the set 7-5. Then straightforward second set, two breaks for Zarev, 6-3. Then they go to the third, and Medvedev, you know, who had to have been exhausted, he'd already had a couple of five-setters, including one against Herkosh in the previous round. Medvedev is, is serving in the third set, 3-4, love 30, gets out of it. Could have, you know, so Zarev could have been serving for the match there at 5-3 if he could break there. And then they go to the tiebreak. It's four points all in the tiebreak, but but Medvedev wins the last three points. Four set also more opportunities for Zarev because Medvedev is serving at four all, love 30. He holds on. They go to another tiebreak. And Medvedev double faults, David, at four all in the tiebreak. So Zarev has it on his racket. He's serving at 5-4. Great point for Medvedev for five all, but then at five all, he played one of those chip forehand returns, you know, from standing closer in as he was doing this tournament, uh, as he started to do a lot in the latter stages. It was not a well-hit chip return. He admitted it himself later. It, 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 there was a 50% chance it ends up in the net, but it somehow made it over. It just fell over the net, and there was no way for Zarev to have a play on it, and that made it 6-5 Medvedev. He serves an ace, and then the fifth set was just clear-cut in in uh, Medvedev's favor, I think poor, poor Zarev at that point was kind of despondent and frustrated by not having closed it out in the third or fourth set. So I, it's just remarkable how many times that uh, Medvedev has stolen matches from Zarev. I say that word, use that word stolen in the tennis sense where, you know, you can't believe he found a way to do it, but he did uh, turn the tables on him again. Great. It has to be incredibly frustrating for Sasha. Incredible. I think so. I think so because Sasha's beaten Carlos. Now he's going to play Sinner, who he's had a good record against in the finals. And he's feeling, I think he honestly was feeling like he could win after he beat Carlos. I think he thought he could win the tournament. And here he is one set away from beating Medvedev, but he can't get the job done. He did say afterwards that he was feeling kind of sick in the latter stages of the match. Yes, perhaps so. In the fifth set was the only time I thought he looked really subpar because he could have easily won the third or the fourth. But Medvedev had been through so much himself, David. I mean, I understand if, if Sasha wasn't feeling great, but Medvedev couldn't have been feeling that great, too, right. given all the wear and tear of this tournament. But he okay. found a way to get the win. And I mean, now you go to the final where Sinner plays Medvedev. I'll tell you this, for Medvedev to have a shot at 
to win that match, he had to win the first two sets. I think if he lost the first two sets, just how many hours that he's had on the court, how physically beaten and worn out he may have already been. If Medvedev had lost the first two sets of that match, I don't think that match goes five. It may go oh, four. Oh, no, no. And, and even if he'd split, he was still probably going to be in trouble. But right. listen, he got out there, David. He played the kind of tennis I have never I've never seen that kind of tennis from him because this was not Medvedev putting up a brick wall at the back of the court and saying, I'm giving you nothing. I'm going to get every ball back deep. I'm not going to make any unforced errors, but you're going to self-destruct because you're not going to find a way through me. It was Medvedev going out and really tagging those ground strokes and his his forehand, the first set up six miles an hour faster than usual. This it, it would what what amazed me was he was hitting the ball so much harder and yet still hardly missing. He, he served, said he was going to be more aggressive because of how yeah, his but, body felt. He said he was going to hit. He that after the match he said he was more aggressive, which was yeah, but easier said than done. And as Sinner said, Sinner made the comment. I I did expect him to be more aggressive, but not that aggressive. So it really caught him off guard. And Medvedev on top of it was serving stupendously, and he had six aces in the first set and. He breaks a couple of times in that first set. He roars through that set 6-3 and then breaks twice in the second to go up 5-1, David. And, and that's where I think was the first sign of trouble. He didn't close him out at the first attempt at 5-1. First time he lost his serve. And then Sinner gets it back to 5. And he played a kind of a sloppy game, Method. It was the first time he was making any real errors. And so then it goes to 5-3 and he's up 40-30 set point double faults and goes down break point. But he managed to salvage that game for the two-set lead. But it was a little extra strain that he probably didn't need. And it also maybe was a uh, opened up a kind of window in, in the sinner's mind. Wait a minute. Uh, you know, I can get into this. He didn't have an easy time closing that set up. And sure enough, in the third, uh, you know, Medvedev was still playing really well in the third. But finally, at four, they went to four. Four. All. four. He's only four two games all. away. <laughs> yeah, and Deuce. And Medvedev missed what for him was a pretty routine forehand. And the camera caught a pretty good close-up of him, and you could see the look, the, the, the disappointment etched across his face. You could just see it. Like, why did I miss that? I worked hard to get to Deuce here. I, I could close him out now, and I missed that shot. So then Sinner holds on. In the next game, Medvedev is up 40-30 to get to 5 all, but Sinner breaks him. So suddenly that set turns in the last two games. So Medvedev looking like he might break, then looking like he might hold, but not winning either game. And suddenly it's another match. So we go into the fourth and Medvedev squeaks at us and break points early twice. And they get to three all. And he's got a break point again on Sinner who aces him down the tee. He'd been going out wide so much in the aqua. This one, 126 miles an hour down the tee. Sinner with a with a really clutch serve and and he then holds on and then once again we get to Medvedev serving at four five and he and once again he's 40 30 as he had been in the previous set and again he can't close out the game Sinner breaks him and then I thought David in the fifth you could sort of see it coming at two three Medvedev played one of these games that made some inexplicable moves half-hearted moves he looked like he just had kind of had it at that point it was, it was not, Sinner played a heads-up game, but it wasn't a great game from Medvedev by any means. And that one break was was all Sinner needed because, interestingly, after losing his serve four times in the first two sets, Sinner was never broken again over the last three sets. So 
he really raised his game. And Medvedev was getting, I think, increasingly weary. I thought he did remarkably well, David, to hang in there physically as long as he did. But but as you, you pointed out at the outset, he needed to get that big start, which he did. And then he needed to, he, I don't think he panics when he loses the third set. He's disappointed. But when, when he couldn't get him in the fourth, when he had chances, then that was, that kind of, he had a wounded psyche after that. And he, and he competed well in the fifth, but it just came down to that one break. Sinner grabbed it and it was over. Remember that I believe now was one in five in Grand yes. Slam finals. Um, I don't look at that as a negative, Steve. I wonder how you view it. Um, I view that as a positive. I know how hard this sport is and how difficult it is to get to the, the, the finals of a Grand Slam, let alone any tournament. Um, that means to me that he is consistently giving himself a shot to win more slams. To me, that one in five, yeah, you don't want it to get to one in six, one in seven, one in eight, but you're giving yourself opportunities to win slams. I necessarily, I don't view that as necessarily a bad thing. He's trying to look at it that way, David. You know what? He is trying to do that, and you, you and and there's something to be said for that. I, 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 I hear you, and I see your point. On the other, and and then of course, four of the five losses, two were to Djokovic. Once at last year's U.S. Open and once at the Australian Open here in 21, and then two at Rafa at the 19 U.S. Open and the 22 Australian. Right. However, conversely, he ha- now has the dubious distinction of being the only man in the Open era to lose two two finals at majors from two sets to love up. That does not feel good. I feel like the Rafa one might have been. That one was maybe the more frustrating and the more and it lingered in his mind longer than this one might because he wasn't tired coming into that final. He hadn't played a lot of long matches, one five setter with Felix, but otherwise that was a sort of a normal tournament for him. And I think he was fresh coming in the final. And Rafa had been gone for sec- virtually six months or most of the six months of the previous year and was just coming back, second tournament back, and he's getting in this five-hour match. And Medvedev couldn't finish him off from two sets to love and three, two, love 40 in the third. So, but my point is, it's a lot of opportunities. You're right. I don't think he has to get discouraged that he can never win one again, but somewhere along the line, you want to grab that second. And I think, you know, he, he, he'll he know that he was very close here. And then the other problem is going forward. Djokovic is still going to be around for a while. We don't know how many more years Novak will play, but you know, I suspect he's going to still be playing high-level tennis at least through 2025. And then you've got the the, the Alcaraz Sinner, the two young geniuses or the two young sparkling uh, performers who are and, – and he has a lot of trouble with Carlos, you know, head-to-head, even though he beat him at the U.S. Open last year in the semi. And Sinner has now beaten him four in a row. So he's got his work cut out for him. I don't think he's kidding himself. On the other hand, I think he will try to hone in on what you were saying. I didn't get to six finals without being a great player. And I'm going to have my turn again. I'm going to have my time again. That's how he has to try to look at it. And I think you stated I've, four of the five losses were two of them to Rafa and two of them to Novak. You know, I mean, they're the greatest of all time. Novak right now has all the records. He's the greatest of all time. And Rafa, I mean, that's no shame in losing. Four no, no, it isn't. But, and, but, and fortunately for him, he did manage to beat Novak in one in, in a final at the U S open and took the grand slam away from Novak. The one, one match away from winning the grand slam. So yes, that's all, that's all true. 
And Sinner is gonna Sinner is a great player. It's no, I don't mean it's an, any disgrace to lose to him, even from two sets up. I just mean that Daniel with there's he's unlikely to have an easy final. And I expect him to be in in a, in a few more finals for sure. Oh, and the game, the men's game right now, Steve, is such an exciting time. And no, if anyone thinks Novak is going away, you are sorely wrong. Oh, yeah. Sorely wrong. Novak is not going anywhere, but you're getting these rivals, like you said, the Sinners, the Medvedevs, the Alcaraz. We just spoke about Sasha. Sasha played a great tournament. Um, he, did. he hasn't won a slam yet. I think it's an exciting time right now for the men's game where you're going to get a lot of um, different players in the semis and finals going after each other, especially in the top oh, five, oh, six, seven, eight guys. It's entirely possible. No, listen to the Djokovic point. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that he will use that loss to fuel himself for the rest of the year because it, it, I mean, it's only gonna, it's only gonna heighten his motivation because he was not pleased with the performance. It wasn't that he lost. Uh, he can accept that he finally lost in the semifinals of, uh, uh, of the Australian Open after having won the tournament 10 times and having won it every time he did reach the semis. But what he won't like is, why did I play so badly? I'm not, that's unacceptable. I'm just going to work even harder, no doubt. And, and, and we will see him. Uh, he will be right in the thick of things at the three remaining majors this year, not to mention the Olympic Games. But you're right. Then you have, uh, we already talked about how Carlos will surely revive, how Sinner is now on the board. So Medvedev is surround, uh, surrounded by an awfully <laughs> capable cast of competitors. On the other hand, he, I think he does believe in himself. I think he also knows he has to find a way. He, he doesn't want to be getting in that many five setters again. I mean, it's like, okay. Easier said uh, than done, right? <laughs> yeah, easier said than done. But he, he just knows he can't afford to be. He nearly pulled off a miraculous, Herculean effort to win the tournament. In, if he, especially if he'd won this in five, it would have been four or five setters. Nobody's done that in the open era. And I just feel like, uh, he, yeah, he'll. What I'm what I'm interested in with him is to see will he start playing more like he did against Sinner? Will he try to be more aggressive in these matches, which could get him through these some of the matches more quickly and okay. taking less out of his body and he, we know he has a great serve so if he can c- combine the serving with hitting out more freely the way he did especially in that in that final against center then that might be the recipe for success how about the two uh espn commentators slash coaches we've talked about brad gilbert with his work with andre agassi andy roddick and then most recently with coco goff you got darren kale now with leighton hewitt Andre Agassi, Simona Halep, and now Yannick Sinner. I mean, I know Darren admitted it in the press conference. He's not the day-to-day guy with Sinner, but he definitely is in there consulting. They are talking tactics, and he is heavily involved on the team with Yannick Sinner. I mean, Darren Cahill is a heck of a coach. Oh, no, listen, Darren Cahill, not only is he a heck of a coach, but he's one of the most modest of the leading coaches out there. He he just is not... He doesn't want to call attention to himself. He wants to make sure the other coach gets his due for doing the day-to-day activities. But there's no doubt. I I don't think anybody can question how much uh, Cahill has contributed to Sinner's success. And Djokovic went out of his way in his press conference to laud Darren. He didn't mention the other coach. He mentioned Cahill. And I just being he's played to me the crucial role in taking Sinner 
uh, up to this level of being a Grand Slam champion. And and I, I but I admire him immensely for not trying to take the credit because he he, he and, and that just says a lot about his character. But we know from the experiences with Agassi and Halep and all the rest just how um and and we hear it in the commentary. I've said to you, I don't know if there's a better commentator out there because he sees the game so clearly and precisely. And he's just got a great tennis mind. Sinner is very fortunate to have Darren Cahill in his corner. And obviously, when you're commentating like Cahill is, by the way, he's watching all these Novak matches. He's watching all these Medvedev matches. He's seeing them all the time, and he surely is chalking things up in his mind while he's watching, saying, ah, I've got to mention that to Yannick. Geez, I didn't realize that. I'd never noticed that about Novak before. I'd never noticed that Medvedev did this before. He's and doing he's, live scouting, Steve. He's not going back to the hotel yeah. and watching matches on tape. He's doing live scouting. It's really no, very it's well said. <laughs> it's perfect. And 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 I, all I'm saying is he's downplaying what it, a substantial contribution that he's made to center. Uh, I can't. I, I don't think we could end this podcast, this episode, without mentioning 43 year old. Ron Bopana, he this was his first major doubles title that he won, Steve. Um, he's now number he's number one in the world in doubles at the young age of 43, we shall say. So yeah. uh quite a feat. Quite a feat. Great achievement. I was I was really happy for him that and and it shows there's no reason. Listen, if we can have the likes of Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal playing so brilliantly in singles in their late 30s, I would hope that if that the, that there was a path for a forward for somebody like him who's 43 years old in doubles why not and he proved it and and all credit to him i'm happy for him yeah i think the whole tennis world is happy for him um as always again these are these are fun recaps to do thanks again for people that that they're my good friends that help me out behind the scenes sue dave and katie you guys know how valuable you are and um covering for me and and filling me in on details when i can't watch it steve Always a privilege to have you on. It's it's so much fun for me. And uh, Slam 1 is done. We got three more to go. I will be in Delray in less than two weeks for that 250 event. So we got we got the Americans all signed up to play. Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tifo. They use that tournament as kind of a stepping stone for them for the Sunshine Double. Um, we're getting into the, 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 fun, the fun part of the year. Uh, first David, did they... Just a quick word, if I may, just before you sign off, I want to tip my hat to Taylor Fritz. You and I have talked about him and the other Americans and where they might be headed. And I don't I, I still don't believe that we're going to see Taylor Fritz get into the top five in the world. But what I do believe, uh, based on what we saw there where he beat Sitsipas before losing the Djokovic matches, he's still going to be holding his ground in, in that bottom of the top 10. He, I don't think he's not disappearing anytime soon and he will certainly keep his level and maybe improve slightly. And, and I, I commend him for that because he knows he's had a lot of skeptics, but Taylor went out and did a really first rate job in Australia. Some, some impressive tennis from him. I'm so glad you said that. Cause I know for time constraints, we can't talk about everything, but the, the, the win over Sitsipas. Um, that's a good win for Taylor, and and he played well against Novak. He didn't yeah. play poorly against Novak, so no. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that, Steve. That was a good, good, real good effort from from Taylor. So um, with that, thanks again for your time. This was fun. We'll we'll, we'll do uh, another episode real soon. Thanks again. Thanks, David.